<laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, welcome to the drop. Third episode, ladies and gentlemen, or it might be four. We're going to see how these conversations work out. Uh, we have today's episode. What the fuck is Cinecode? I am your host, COO of Digital Film Tree, Nancy Jundy. Joining me today from Team Cinecode is lead producer and game engine artist, Andrea Anaceto Chavez, our developer and artist, Dylan Filangieri, and man of many hats, our general counsel, our product manager, and Cinecode producer, Gregory Stein. So, well, thank you guys for carving out time. You guys have had quite a busy spring going into summer. Uh, so I appreciate the time you're taking right now because you still have full plates. But I wanted to get a little bit of background to contextualize what the fuck is Cinecode because folks uh, listening to this might know what previs is or story viz, but even that, some people have some confusion about it. They think it's just virtual reality or, wait, so do you make, what's that gun thing with the... the Laser tag? No. <laughs> Duck hunt? The, the game that everyone plays that's made in the, the super big one that uh, Unreal Call does. of Duty? Yeah, Call of oh. Duty and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's the whole point that these are tools that can be leveraged to make actual stories. Gregory, why do you have three jobs? Uh, Fun fact, I could even answer this because I think at the end of the day, uh, especially in the project that we're going through now, Mm -hmm. of which we cannot name but cannot wait to name in future episodes wherein we will tell you all about it, Mm -hmm. um, it's a huge super challenge that it is a a massive benefit to have a product manager Mm -hmm. who is also a lawyer going through this collaboration with another software that is being utilized to honor creative intent. So producer, lawyer, product manager is a huge benefit in a situation like that Mm -hmm. where we're actually producing elements for the DPs, for the VFX supervisors, but we are putting that into someone else's software and supporting it while also delivering to the client timeline but you have to think about the legalities of that, the, the scrums and the sprints that we have to go mm-hmm. through to make that happen, while also collaborating with our two artists to make sure that all of that is in line. And again, why you're our lead producer is because you have the most face time with the clients bringing forward their ideas and honoring what it is that they had envisioned. So uh, would you add anything to that, Senor? Uh, I think part of the role as well is you sometimes have to be the professional bad guy, which is sometimes the client, sometimes the artist wants to do more than what is allocated in the time and the budget. So part of it is trying to you know maximize the benefit you can get out of that. I think as well, part of the experience of doing the product management is very similar to what we're doing with the software. So you kind of you're you're the um the idris elba of it all like you're the gatekeeper (laughs) keeping us on track because we have story kit to continue developing we have clients that we need to appease we have intellectual property that we need to protect and all of these things so uh, i think where you are already going with being the bad guy here Mm -hmm. kind of helps define well, let me rewind that. It doesn't define what is Cinecode. <laughs> right, yeah. Cinecode's not the bad guy. Yeah. We are the good guys. I'm just the bad guy within it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 
But so what, I mean, again, because you are producing, you're being client facing, you are product managing to, to make sure that we're future forward. Mm -hmm. And then legally you're protecting everything that we're building to try and solve pain points. Again, Cinecode came out of a place of like, well, I don't have Mandalorian money. I don't have Ready Player One time. Right. So what is, what the fuck is Cinecode, Gregory? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I think you were leading right into it, which is the Cinecode effort is to make previs available for any production, not just, you know, the Mandalorians with the big or, budget. Or even like a kid in, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, like who just wants to work on student projects. Exactly. And we want to make the tools and the services that go along with that and can fit within smaller budgets, tighter turnarounds, and everything that comes with going from a student film to, you know, traditional television show. And most pre-visits happen prior has, you know, been for much bigger budgets and longer time frames. So um, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Well, I mean, it kind of encompasses literally everything. So we have, um, we're going to have a whole episode on Ted Lasso previs, of which, again, Andrea being our lead producer, there were moments when we got from, we, we just got bare bones script pages. We got a basic idea of what was going on. And it was left to Andrea to kind of envision that. And when you'll hear from Kip Kroger, who was over there in London capturing in the freezing rain when they had to get the shots and had very little time on the field and because of weather, uh, basically we had actors like with blue lips, but because they had Andrea's previs, they could just film what had already been envisioned, get in, get out and be done. So we're going to have a whole nother episode dedicated just to that, but like you have these high-level shows like Ted Lasso, the Umbrella Academy, NCIS LA, using previs to choreograph action, like being on the field, stunts, like jumping onto, what was it, a dump truck? I don't even remember what that stunt oh, guy I feel is. like we've done so many stunts, whether they're uh, jumping onto the back of a truck and then getting ran over or, like, jumping off um, a mezzanine and then, like, spinning out of control and all these other crazy shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then on the whole other side of it, like, that's you guys actually working in the game engine, but then we have, we're actually working on educational mm -hmm. courses to make the game yes. engine more accessible um, because that's really how all of you guys started was, like, trying to teach yourself how to use this thing. Who's going to tell me about that? I am. I think it'll be news to Dylan because I feel like... Have you not seen what? the... What the... courses? <laughs> See you next time, Cinecoders. Have you not <laughs> seen, seen that? No. Oh, oh, I have. The one with the uh, ventriloquist. Oh, I've seen yeah, that. that. Yeah, so like um, going back to what Gregory had mentioned, like we do want to make sure that um, so many people can like use it, whether it's um, our clients or like even people just like learning how to do it for their student films. So... One thing that we've been working on is basically simplifying my workflow and like the, the whole team's process in terms of um, how we start with previs or story viz or safety viz and creating that in videos where it's for anyone, whether they're like tech savvy or not tech savvy, like um, it's at kind of a beginner level and then it'll just progress from there, whether it goes to intermediate and advanced. But point is, is that we want to make sure that it's accessible to everyone. So... Who's going to break down? I'm pointing at you for this one. K 
Can you walk us through the difference, especially because you then have to deal with things like LIDAR and bringing things into the gate? Not that you don't, but like a lot of that when things don't match up fall to you as our developer. Mm. So there's a huge difference from tech viz to safety viz to story viz. How would you define those? What the fuck is Cinecode to you? Uh, well, you know, my role is is more so uh, supporting, you know, these different projects as far as what I can develop. Like with Ted Lasso, there was a moment where I had to kind of code a, a new kind of camera for us to use because we were wasting a lot of time adjusting all these little things for each shot. And if we can automate that process, then it saves us time in the long run. So, you know, filling in that kind of role. Um, well, actually, yeah. stop there for a second because, I mean, again, most people who are listening to this have no idea what you mean about there being an issue with the camera, right? So can you kind of unpack that? Are we talking about the virtual camera? Yeah, so the, the virtual camera. So in Unreal, for instance, uh, when we're exporting these Ted Lasso shots, we need, you know, lines coming out of the camera to show the field of view, and we need to be able to see the camera on a mini-map and that sort of thing. Um, to make it easier to switch between the lenses on the virtual camera so that we can switch between the lenses that Ted Lasso is actually using instead of having to type the number in every time. So kind of stuff like that, just making it easier for us in the game engine. There's a few things to unpack there. One, uh, the mini map that, that you're talking about is actually, you're filming the sequence. So with the virtual camera, which is a one-to-one -one with the camera that Ted Lasso actually used, or cameras, plural, right? They use several. Do they ask you guys to use several in the virtual environment? <laughs> yeah, there's so many cameras. Um, so many cameras. Yeah. So, so many cameras. Uh, so basically, I mean, I think the interesting thing about the cameras is that it's not just like, oh, like we're using, you know, software to create these shots and like they can just kind of have this live storyboard. Um, the novel part about it is, is that these cameras are actually the virtual version of the ones that they're using on set. Um, so, for example, some of our some of our clients use um, the Aerie 65 camera. And so then we're able to take that same sensor size, aspect ratio and the resolution they export out of. Um, and then do that for the previs and they they're able to get all that camera metadata with that And it's all based on like clients needs and like what they feel is more relevant to their workflow and their production. So for example on um, Umbrella Academy one of the features that I had I don't I feel like we have so many developers. Okay, sorry. Anyway, uh, one of the features we built as a team was to have their shot ID in the shot so that's like burnt in like they know what shot they're working on what version it's on as opposed to kind of checking like oh like what file did I just open so that's already burnt into the video and that has like a description in terms of like what's going on in the scene as well as having the camera height as it's running because a lot of the shots that they do create are either with drones or cranes or having camera wires and it's important for them to know like does this start at like five feet and then you know where does this end up like at 10 feet so they're having all that information go through so they know where to set their end marks and that helps them with um shooting that on set and um, i think everything else other than that it's pretty 
basic like we'll include like the lens as well as um, being burnt in but a lot of our clients do ask for that because it's important for them to know like what lens are they using for what shot um, and because we're burning all that information in it's just so easy to like pull up an iPad or an iPhone and like um, pull up those previous shots and then be able to replicate that uh, on set. Would you call that story viz or tech viz? Um, I think it depends what they're using it for so I feel like it falls between both um, because technically the story is going on while they're creating these shots like they're seeing like where the actors are and like who's standing where for blocking purposes but also it is tech viz because some of the shots are so complex where it's like that's like the main focus depending on what department gets it. Yeah, just to yeah. add to that, I think something else that you both do during the sessions is the educational portion of it, which mm -hmm. is we might work with a director or a DP who's never done this before. So then it's, hey, okay, these are some of the things you can do. And then we sort of hide some of the features just so it's not overwhelming and then sort of build to that. And then you can get to others. Umbrella Academy, some of them have it, where it's, okay, we need this camera to do this Immelman maneuver, and then it needs to fly through this, and then, but that's because now that they've had the experience and they know that it really can do all of this, um, you know, uh, choreography and video capture, and then we can give them this metadata that they can then use as well to try to replicate these shots, you know, once they're on set. This is all actually a really important distinction though, especially in, in your role. How do you keep some of the, like you said, the behind the scenes mm -hmm. stuff from the client so it doesn't feel overwhelming or like at the end of the day, we're just trying to help you tell your story. So there's also a line between like, it's a weird thing to invite someone into a space where you're like, imagine, <laughs> you know, dreamscape and like come up right. with these environments, but like not everything is immediately possible. We have to go through software integrations or coding something, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you temper those kinds of expectations? Or we might geek out on something that, like, I can't believe you fixed that. But, like, the client's not going to care. We just want to right. it. Well, that's, that's where when I joke about me being the bad guy, it, it's sometimes it's, hey, this is great and this is wonderful, but no one's really going to notice that we did this fix. Or hey, there just isn't time for it. Well, actually, I mean, it's kind of, I think, an invitation for you, Dylan, to, uh, again, we can't really mention the product yeah. just yet, yeah. but, you know, you've done a hell of a lot of work to integrate with, I think we can we can mention the integration that mm -hmm. we're doing, right? Just not the product or project that we did it for. But mm -hmm. so we're partnering with Previs Pro, which actually allows you to create environments. I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to turn it over to you, but like, we have had so many huge wins and development experiences that are just going to open this up for our clients. But like the, between the two of you, especially tell me what's going on over there. It's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, we had a client who basically said, you know, that's great that you can do all that fancy stuff in Unreal and Unity, <laughs> but we want to just be able to make simple storyboards with simple characters ourselves and do everything ourselves on an iPad. So then we, we did some research as far as, you know, what's out there that you can do that on an iPad. And, and we found this app called Previs Pro, which is only available on, on iOS. Um, we've been partnering with them. Uh, but then kind of the, the challenge becomes, you know, they have these assets, 3D assets that were made in SketchUp or modeled, and they aren't obviously optimized for a phone. Uh, and there's a hard limit to how complex the model can be for a phone. 
So a lot of a lot of the work that I've done is is taking their models, bringing them into a program called Maya, which is a 3D modeling software, and and just optimizing it so that it can then be imported into Previs Pro uh, with the appropriate amount of you know triangles, polygons, and and that sort of thing. How much time would either of you say that you spend in Maya? For this project, it's been like. A lot. 95%. But I think that, I mean, I feel like the only project where we didn't spend any time or not that much time in Maya was Ted Lasso because we got really lucky with like having them having a location that was so popular and like other people have like built their own versions and then we like modify from that. Um, And yeah, I mean, even I think PlayStation has like their own Selhurst Stadium now. So I feel like it's definitely a game changer to have so many accessible assets. And even with like the amount of things that we've done, we've definitely built our own asset library as well. But I think that's one thing that's really important to know because when people see what we do and like they'll like go through a demo, they're like, well, like that's like all 3D. Like I don't have time to build that. Like how long does that take? And um, luckily like we already have something where it's like, yeah, this can take like one to two days or like we can actually can make like a mock-up version within the next couple hours. Um, depending on like how detailed they want it, of course. But uh, I think that, that that's something that's been really helpful for us um, and been one of the biggest factors to get people on board with, you know, diving into previs and wanting to do things that way. Well, and that's actually only one portion of things because also uh, we have uh, a project that literally started as a napkin. So tell me about, uh, what was it, Miracle Workers was the napkin project? Yeah. How did that all start off? So it costs money, obviously, to go to Prague and location scout and do all that. So I don't know how Rami got involved with this, but basically we got an idea on a napkin, which was like, this is the kind of castle I want to build. Like the castle's here, there's like pig pens here, and then there's all these little different things. Um, And so we then took that napkin, scanned it, Um, imported that scanned napkin into the game engine, put it on like a 3D plane. And then we found different castle assets and like little animals and like water well stuff or whatever that, whatever you call it. I don't know. I'm not medieval. So like, how am I supposed (laughs) to know? But like, um, we then built that and we showed that to um, our contact there. And they were like, what? Like how, like I literally told you about this yesterday, like how is this happening? And we were able to build that. So that's kind of more so proof in terms of like being able to like just get things on the spot. And obviously, once again, if they want more detail, then that would take a little bit more time. Dylan, tell me everything because I I feel like we hit the jackpot finding you. There are just there are not that many people that both know how to develop for the game engine and then do the creative side in the game engine. So your brain is like this beautiful, shiny thing. It's so sparkling. Thank you. No, but it's exciting for me because it, it keeps things fresh. It's challenging. Uh, I like doing everything. Like I like that we get to, you know, work on Ted Lasso and export shots and come up with animations and shots and all that. And I also like the, you know, the coding aspect of it. Um, you know, we haven't really talked about the character possession project we're working on. Maybe we can get to that later. But um, Or now. Or now. Let's do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you want to do you want to explain it? Yeah. So obviously like we mentioned the education thing and like how we want to simplify things and make it easy so like other people get it. And obviously with that it's like 
not only will other people understand how to do it, that'll also make our lives easier in terms of like creating previs, like simplifying things by creating all these tools. And one of those tools would be character possession. So essentially it's almost like it already exists, but not really. It's basically, if you play video games, when you play a video game, you pick your character and your character can then like walk around and like jump and fight things or whatever. Um, and then from there, like, while we're not trying to create a video game per se, we do want to have that aspect where then we can take that same like character that we get to control or possess and that'll then record these animation clips and then we're recording previs while we're playing video games, which I think is going to be really awesome because like that would be great not to do traditional animation all the time. Um, not because I'm against it. I really like creating like custom stuff, but also because like we're exporting like over 100 shots a day sometimes or like we're creating like so many different ideas and even like pitching ideas to the client. So I feel like this would definitely speed things up and allow us to um, create more options when it comes to previs. Yeah, I think if we can make uh, previs and animating as easy as just playing a video game, that's mm -hmm. that's good oh, for other people, so but it's, it's great for us. <laughs> we don't have to keyframe as much stuff. Yeah. What would you guys each say is like the hardest part of your job and or the most exciting part? Oh, I, oh, I have Don't one. You know? Oh, I'm not stumped at all. <laughs> um, I would say it's a mixture of things, definitely. So, like, I'm not going to, I don't want to define it as like bidding shots or like trying to figure out what clients want. But I think my favorite part is when people don't know what they want. Um, and while most people might find that like really frustrating, like, what am I supposed to do if I have no directions? I actually find that really entertaining because it's a good opportunity to be creative and come up with something. Um, and I think that's one of the things I learned with like Lasso per se. Uh, when we first started that project, um, we were basically doing it off of a sample and it was just like, hey, like we just wanna see Selhurst Park Stadium and we wanna make kind of like a fake soccer game. Like we didn't know who the actors were or like what teams were gonna play on there. And, um, I was able to do something where like I come up with soccer games and like come up with like how they walk out of the, or walk into the stadium and do all of that. Um, and then from there, it just gets really complex because at some point it becomes a mixture of being able to, you know, do our own thing and also being able to collaborate with them in terms of like what they're thinking of. Um, and I think that's how it's like for a lot of shows, like, Sometimes like we'll get scripts where it'll say like, oh, yeah, the characters are fighting and this one wins. But it's always what's in question is like, OK, but like, how do they win? Like, how do they fight? Like, when do they start fighting? Like, who throws the first punch? And we're able to get a say in that in some weird, like subtle way. And I think it's really rewarding um, because not only do we show it to like the clients or like different directors and if they approve it, they approve it. But it's even more rewarding when we actually get to see it on TV. Like, I came up with that. Like, that's crazy. Um, and yeah, it's always it's always really shocking to me because sometimes I feel like people don't listen or like won't like care. Like, okay, like what am I gonna do with this? But people actually use previs. Um, and yeah, I'm always taken back by it. Yeah, I think one of the challenging aspects 
from my side of things is keeping up with all the technology and the things that are coming out there for previs, especially because uh, previs ends up, the word itself ends up being used to describe everything from storyboarding to throwing up visual effects onto a massive LED screen. And so you'll hear this news, oh, there's this new previs thing. And then you got to really dig into it and be like, okay, but what, what actual portion of it is, is it helping? And how does it, if anyway, relate to what we're doing? You know, we're always looking for new tools and solutions that can help us with our work. You know, our goal is to do it fast and efficient like anybody else. And so having to stay on top of that uh, with this rapidly developing segment of the industry is is a challenge but it's fun i like the challenge of trying to keep up with client demands you know like each week is a different challenge oh man do you still feel that way (laughs) Uh, i like it more so when it's like the client is there whether they're like physically present or virtually present like that's always fun but so you enjoy that well like new demands so like ted lasso you know is like we want the characters to look like the actual actors so it's you know, we, we started looking into Unreal. They have uh, metahumans. Uh, that wasn't available yet for, for the public to use. So then we looked into uh, this company called Real Illusion that has this thing called Character Creator 3. Mm-hmm. So we use that, and they have a headshot plugin where we can literally just feed the software a, a headshot of the actor, and then it outputs a 3D model. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, Instead of the iron lassos that we had for a minute, yeah. where all of the characters look like Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that, and then our, our latest project, how we were talking about with Previs Pro, where it's like, you know, here's this, um, this 3D model that's 12 million polygons. Uh, we need it to be 400,000 to work in the app. So, you know, figuring that kind of stuff out, developing new workflows. Yeah. I'm glad you find that fun. Yeah, no, actually, I want to say that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that I appreciate about Dylan, because like, he actually has an interest in the, the challenges like it's not just like okay like let me just accomplish this and like let's see who like finishes this first or better or whatever but um like he actually cares about that and um i mean i can't even think of an example like for example um there was a point where we like might have had to like rig one of our characters from scratch and dylan's like okay yeah i'll learn this and i'm like you know you don't have to learn that maybe there's like someone else who can like bring on that can do that and they'll be like a lot faster if they they're already experienced with that but Dylan's like very determined and like um wants to learn it and I'm like okay you do you I guess <laughs> says you of all people okay uh this is one of those moments where we might have to flash to one of our Halloween costumes where Captain overdoes it but like to an awesome degree yeah I think it's pretty fair that uh we have in Dylan someone else who can match that like no, no, I'm going to learn it. No, no, no. Neuroscience? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. For me, when it comes to Cinecode, on the you know client side of things, the hardest part of Cinecode for Rami and I is what you've begun to touch on, budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the huge, crazy thing is that this is affordable. That is why TV shows can actually leverage it and use it. The problem is the distinction with line items. It is the biggest hurdle in the world to get previs as a line item in the budget. So that's why like the foray into almost all of these shows has been the VFX supervisor, 
so that they can actually plan for these things better, faster. It's saving money on their budget. And COVID was actually something of a an entree as well because safety vis, which we haven't even talked about, but they had to plan out how they would keep people distanced on set. They had to plan out the sections where people would stay. And the mini map in that case was an even bigger deal because it was, okay, if we're going to film in this section, we need to move this way. These entire crews have to go that way for you to arrive. Like they were putting the mini map on call sheets so that people actually understood where to go. And so that allowed for line items in the budget because it became part of even the COVID budget to have safety vis. So you had all of these new line items coming in the budget just because you had to be safe. And so safety vis actually made sense in those cases. But when we're talking back to tech vis and story vis, those are things that now we have DPs fighting for because it allows them to block and prep their shots faster. Um, we have producers, the writers rooms that fight for it because it allows them to plan and prep for it. But you have to have someone that really believes in it, has that experience of the working session so that, you know, we sit, you've sat with directors that have those aha moments of why it's beneficial. It's not mm -hmm. just like some live action storyboard. I mean, sure, that's one part of it, but it's also, oh, this saves so much time. Oh, this will save so much money. Oh, I didn't know we couldn't mm -hmm. fit that camera at that angle because they have the LIDAR. And I mean, uh, can one of you tell me if I'm lying? But I think even LIDAR scans, what we've been building with the iPhone 12 Pro, you can download an app to LIDAR from your phone. And that has an accuracy of up to what, 0.02 millimeters? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that's, we're hoping now that that will, you know, Normally, people will give us architectural designs or SketchUp models, but now if you can take a LiDAR from your phone, then that eases the process right there. And you just import that right into the game engine. Exactly. Bananas. Well, I think we should explain what a LiDAR scan is. Good Because everyone's like, probably like, what? Maybe not everyone, um, but Not everyone, portion, but most. Yeah. So, so LiDAR is essentially a 3D model that has the accurate height and dimensions of whatever you scanned. Also, the cool thing is, like, you know, there are people that probably have a, a LiDAR scanner on their phone and don't even know it. Because mm -hmm. the iPhone 12 has a LiDAR scanner, the latest iPad Pro has one. I so. mean, I have it and I know it, but I don't know how to use it. Look at you, you're like, here, <laughs> let me just show you. <laughs> so, well, and what was the other thing I was going to ask about? Uh, oh, and even the Google Maps function. We did that for a client where we brought in topographical information from Google Maps that we could then use to maneuver and, and pre-vis using all that. Why are you laughing? Are you oh, because the Google thing like fucked me up in the head. <laughs> so like, I don't know if we're talking about the same Google thing, but um, we were using, Google had an app in Unity where like you could literally plug in like the location coordinates of like whatever location you're trying to pull up and it would pull up a 3D model. Mind you, it was a beta, so like they only had Manhattan. But even then, I was just like, that's like so crazy. Uh, I wish they would have built further on that. And maybe we can, I don't know. I'm just throwing that idea out there, but. What would be the dream project? Wait, okay, so a dream project that would want to work on. 
And it has to be music wise or like no, just TV wise. Guys, what are you? You got okay. your answer. Oh, okay, no, I got it. Okay, dream project that I would want to work with, and I know this for a fact because I've seen y'all on Instagram. You guys have SketchUp models. You guys like to flex the 3D stuff. Um, I would say Pen15 on Hulu. Uh, yeah, because that show is literally like. I don't know how how they did it, but like they saw what happened in my life and then they like scripted it and it's just like my life regurgitated into like I think eight episodes a season. I think it's eight episodes or ten. I feel like maybe you just, just do it. Just previsit. I should just do it? Yeah. Now that I know how to make people in yeah. um Okay, <laughs> I'll previs a whole episode. Fuck it. I mean that's isn't that the whole point of like, you know, student films, proofs of concept, things like that. Mm. Get in there, fuck around. Yeah, I want to direct an episode of Pen15 if possible. Let me just throw that out there. Sup, Hulu? <laughs> <laughs> Dylan? Gregory? Dream project. Uh, it's not out yet, but I know they're working on it. I would love to work on Eisenhorn, which is based on the Warhammer property from Games Workshop. And it's written by Dan Abnett, who's amazing. And I know they're putting together a TV series, and I'm like super excited about it. So any friend I have in the industry, I always tell them, like, if you hear anything about this project happening, you need to let me know because I need to be involved in it somehow. So that's mine. Shout out on the, on the Dropcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Fuller! <laughs> Sorry, I just coined that, Dropcast. Uh, Gregory, can you do that? Like, totally, we'll get the yeah. trademark. Who's gonna listen to the Dropcast? <laughs> Dylan. Uh, I would love to do anything for Kanye West. Kanye, can we do eight one eight heartbreaks? Like eight oh eight. Sorry, I already fucked it up. <laughs> he that asked, not be, her. It's okay. <laughs> that would be a dope. Yeah, that's pretty dope. All right, we've got goals, people. We've got goals. With that. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrea, Gregory, Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today. We'll see you next time.